The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. This is all about trust now and personal responsibility and just being careful and not being selfish. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The idea of an irreversible move was taken off the table. You can't do that when you have no idea where the virus is going to go. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Fully vaccinated people from the EU and the US travelling to the UK from amberless countries no longer have to self-isolate from today. Meanwhile, Chancellor Rishi Sunak is urging that restrictions be eased even further, according to The Times. That's ahead of a travel update on Thursday. Well, that may please the travel industry, Ewan, but the constantly changing rules remains an issue. Ministers are now fighting the idea of yet another traffic-like category, a new so-called amber watch list, which would mean that travellers could be warned that countries could be placed onto the red list at short notice. Well, let's speak to Peter Bone, Conservative Member of Parliament for Wellingborough. Thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, today. Now, talk of uh, another category being added to the traffic light system. Do you you worry about that it's getting just a bit too complicated? Yeah, too complicated and unnecessary. I have to say, before I became a Member of Parliament, I ran a tour operation uh, to the United States. We used to take uh, thousands, thousands of people to Florida each year. And I, if I was in the industry now, I would be pulling my hair out trying to follow the constantly changing rules. I think we need a, a little bit more clarity, a little bit more certainty. And it's good now that you can come in from the US and Europe if you've been double vaccinated. We still have problems, I believe, if we want to go to the States. But, um, yeah, it, clarity and certainty over the rules would, uh, would be a good thing. Constantly changing the rules and then... Trying to introduce another traffic light, uh, I don't think is the way forward. Is it a good thing, though? Uh, some newspapers have reported on Chris Whitty being worried about um, more foreign travel for us this summer and then into the autumn being a particularly risky point for the UK. Well, I think there's two things. There. I mean, I, I think always the autumn is a, a risky time for respiratory illnesses, and that's when the risk of flu goes up, and I believe we've just been announced that there's going to be booster uh, jabs for for COVID in the autumn. I guess we'll be getting our flu jab and COVID jab at the, the same time. Travel is different. I mean, if you've been double vaccinated, if you're protected, I can't see any reason why you can't travel abroad. And equally, I think if people who have been double vac- vaccinated in their home country, why they shouldn't come here? Um, I mean, there, but even then, you have to do tests before... Um, before you depart as well. So I, I think um, we're probably trying to get, uh, government is trying to, or perhaps I should say more, the scientists are trying to complicate things, uh, perhaps unnecessarily. Talking of the autumn, are our domestic vaccine passports still on their way? Uh, do you know of any Conservative colleagues who are keen on these things? I can't think of any. I can think of lots and lots who are against them. 
far as I can see, the only person who's really pushing them is um, Michael Gove. Uh, we know the Prime Minister doesn't want to do them because obviously he wrote an article a number of years ago saying he would um, eat his identity card if he had to produce it. Well, how you eat an app, I don't quite know. But um, yeah, I, I think I think look, it's right to encourage people to get vaccinated. It's, it's absolutely the right thing to do. I was very happy to have my vaccines when they came along, and I want everyone to get vaccinated. But it's up to individuals, not up to the state to force people to do. Mm, okay, so that on the virus and vaccines. Well, what about um, Boris Johnson's popularity amongst all of this? The Times, I noticed, reporting that among Conservative MPs, that his popularity has plunged and that Rishi Sunak has emerged as the most popular candidate to succeed him. Do you think that? Uh, I think that's absolutely wrong. I think you're, I think you're actually slightly wrong. I don't think MPs have ever been asked to give an opinion on Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. I, I, I think that's wrong. I think the statement you gave me was wrong. I, there has never been a poll of Conservative MPs asking popularity. If there was, he'd be hugely popular. Looking at the polls um, more widely, all but one of the main pollsters has registered a sort of a notable decline in Conservative support and an uptick in, in Labour to support. Do you worry that a, a, a corner has been turned in, in, when it comes to the polls? Well, I think all the polls say the Conservative Party is substantial lead. And considering how long we've been in government, that we've had to deal with a COVID pandemic, this u- unique um, uh, problem for any for any government. Uh, I don't think we can't... Well, perhaps 1918 there was a similar problem, but it's, it is... It's more than 100 years ago since the government's had to deal with this sort of problem. They've done it remarkably well. And the fact that we're still ahead in the polls is testimony to the popularity of Boris Johnson and his government. I think uh, I think that's what the polls say. Whether you're, whether you're saying we're not as far ahead as we were before, well, that may be one thing. But to be ahead at this time is amazing, and we clearly are. Although some questions do seem um, to be being asked. I mean, after Greensill, this new group of Tory donors known as the advisory board that has sort of emerged, Labour wants the names of of who is on that advisory board to be revealed and what sort of access they got in exchange for their sizeable donations. I mean, there is perhaps an issue um, around transparency, around sleaze or even not proved, of course, but allegations maybe that this might be corruption. Well, I mean, I know nothing about um, this particular donors club, but there have always been donors clubs um, forever since I've been in the Conservative Party, and nobody's ever suggested that anything to do with corruption or or sleaze. Um, So I'm sure the party will, um, if asked, explain what this particular donor club is, but there have been donor clubs around for forever and a day in all parties, as far as I'm aware. We've spoken to a number of your colleagues about the plans to loosen planning restrictions. I know there's been a lot of development in Wellingborough over the years, a growing town. Are you comfortable with, with more homes being built in the countryside? Well, certainly my constituency and the whole of North Northamptonshire, I think, is perhaps may even be the biggest development area in the country. So we're well used to building homes and we don't object to doing that, but we do want to have the infrastructure that goes along with it, the the new roads. Um, we, we, need, we need a new bypass in my constituency, which is uh, in the process of 
being approved and funded and actually built. And then we've got a new Boris Hospital for, for our area, a completely rebuilt Kettering General Hospital. Those are things necessary to go forward with the, uh, with the development. But I think it proves that the current planning system allows development. So um, I understand talking to people who know about this, and it's not my field, but there are some very good things in the, in the bill that's proposed by the government and some things that ought to be resisted. So I will listen to the debate as it, as it develops and, 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 you know, try and, try and influence whatever my constituents think is the right way. But, you know, we do do development. We do get the infrastructure. So, but that's under the old system, so clearly it can work. What about the idea that property developers are perhaps influencing the Tories um, overly because of the amount of money that they're donating to, to the Tories? Uh, I think that uh, uh, is, is not true. I don't think that they have any more influence than any other stakeholder in a particular industry. I mean, one of the problems, I'm, I'm told, is um, developers getting planning permission and then sitting on it and not building the houses. And I think that's part of the issue that needs to be looked in the new act. If, if, if you give uh, planning permission to a developer, then he needs to build the houses because otherwise it's a pointless exercise. So uh, I, I think it might well be if, if you're talking about influence of, of donors, that, that clearly doesn't apply in that case because what we're trying to do is, is make them build houses when perhaps they don't particularly want to get on with it because they think if they sit on it, they get more money in the, in the end. So uh, I've, I've never I've never come across any suggestion that there's been uh, money has influenced policy in any area. I want to get your thoughts on the on the wider green agenda. Um, Nigel Farage thinks that Number Ten has been captured by a certain type of green. He calls them Richmond Greens who live in two million pound houses and aren't bothered about <laughs> rising energy bills. Do you do you think he's got a do you think he's got a point on that? <laughs> well, there may well be um, people who live in very expensive houses who uh, don't care about the cost of uh, uh, green policies, whereas I think uh, the government, and, I, and Boris has done this before, is we want to improve um, the, the air quality, for instance, um, you know, more electric cars, if they are the right vehicles, um, and then there's questions about their, the use of their batteries and things. But uh, I think what Boris managed to do was increase um, uh, the, the green effect of London while he was mayor without putting costs up. And if you can use technology to improve things, for instance, if an electric car can replace a diesel car, um, that that may well be the way forward. So what we want to do, I mean, I want, I'm, I'm sitting here looking out of my office at Palace of Westminster uh, over uh, over Big Ben, but the air quality in London could be improved if we had less polluting vehicles. So that's something we can look at. But equally, we can't do that and make it so expensive that we, we damage ordinary citizens. Uh, and maybe that's what Nigel Farage, you know, he might be saying, yes, we, we want to improve the environment, but we don't want to do it at such a cost that it makes life impossible for the average citizen. And, of course, he'd be right on that. And I think I think the government's planning a green agenda, but planning to do it in a, in a way that... It, largely by technology and common sense and not putting the burdens onto individual taxpayers. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, 
and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Well, let's take a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. The US has joined the UK in blaming Iran for an attack on an Israeli-linked oil tanker off Oman that's claimed two lives, including a British security guard. US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken says there's no justification for the assault and warned of an appropriate response to come. His condemnation came after Israel also blamed Tehran, though it hasn't often direct evidence. Iran has denied responsibility. Meanwhile, a post-Brexit deal with New Zealand is close to being completed, according to the International Trade Secretary Liz Truss, who told the Daily Express the two sides are closing in on a deal which would be one of the most advanced struck by any nation. Still, according to the official modelling by the British government, the proposed agreement is expected to provide close to zero uplift compared with not having a pact. And tests at four major railway stations in England have found no traces of COVID-19. National Rail says that swabs are taken on areas most commonly touched by passengers like escalator handles, ticket machines and benches. Uh, the results were analysed by Imperial College London, which found no COVID contamination on any surface nor any airborne particles of the virus. Well, now, the Prime Minister is being pressed not to add another category to the travel traffic light system. The so-called Amber Watch List would apply to countries at risk of being moved into the red category. Well, joining us now is Bloomberg Intelligence's Sam Fazelli. Sam, great to have you on the programme. Look, another tweak to international travel. What is the point of this, do you think? Yeah, hi, Caroline. I think it's totally pointless I'm sorry, I've been a, uh, a supporter of a lot of things. Critic, too, but a supporter of a lot of things the UK has done. has done some phenomenal rapid vaccinations, etc., across the, and, and various other things. But this one is really mind-boggling. You know, on the 12th of July, my data suggests that Spain, 12th of July, right, Spain had the highest percentage reported of the beta uh, variant. If that is the reason they kept France on the Amber Plus list, why didn't Spain join it? This is looking at the same data that they're looking at, apparently. What is going on? What is this nonsense about we want to help the travel industry, but now we're going to create this several layers, which, which won't be understood by many people, that creates uncertainty when you come back. And, you know, we've all heard enough horror stories about the uh, hotel quarantine that they're forcing people into. It's just, it's just mind-boggling, and I'm sorry, it just doesn't make sense anymore. How do we compare with uh, other countries in Europe? You read about things, uh, you read about uh, the Germans and the uh, others uh, booking all the flights. Uh, are we much stricter in this country? Um, I think we're much more haphazard in the UK, unfortunately. Germany, you know, has said, don't go to the UK. We don't want, if you don't come from the UK to the to Germany, I think at least that was the last time I looked. I don't know where we are now. Um, and that's it. There's none of this. If you come back and, and uh, you have to go to a hotel and pay this amount of money and feel like, literally feel like a prisoner. Um, so, and France, you know, case counts are lower than in the UK per capita and they're flattened out per capita. Spain is probably the only place that's looking a bit worrying, but, and the beta variant, it's even being crushed by the Delta variant in South Africa, where beta came from. Where the, how does this data suggest anything but 
a simple system that says fully vaccinated, have a test before you come, take a test when you come. Unless some other variant is showing up somewhere that we don't know of. But I think the UK has been a pretty good source of variants by itself. Mm, yes, sadly. Well, what about the Chancellor Rishi Sunak that, then? In that case, you agree with him. He wants more travel freedom in order to help tourism and the economy. Um, you know, again, this, the, from today, fully vaccinated travellers coming in from the US and Europe don't have to self-isolate. So you're in favour of that bit of, as you say, a very complex government picture here. Totally. We have been putting people through a pretty gruelling time, fully vaccinating them. The data continues to show that fully vaccinated people have pretty much only mild disease. There are some hospitalizations, obviously, because a vaccine doesn't work great perfectly in just about in everybody. So you have some who will not be responding to a vaccine, Delta or no Delta. Of course, Delta complicates the picture. But at the end of the day, we've gone through all this for that reason. Keep the masks. Um, keep asking for a test before people come. Ask them for a test when they arrive. Ask them for a test two days after. All of that. But none of this craziness about you can go somewhere, but you'll never know whether the day that, that, that you wake up uh, two days into your holiday, you'll be on a red list and you have to run back home. It just doesn't make sense. The government is pretty concerned about the the beta variant Uh, should they beat tell us about how much we should be concerned about it yeah so uh, data to date unfortunately um i haven't seen enough breakthrough infection analysis with the beta variant to be able to say how it looks but whatever i've seen so far seems to suggest that even with the AstraZeneca vaccine, the only cases that they saw in South Africa, unless there's new data that we haven't seen, and if there is, please government supply it so we can see it, um, that the, the beta variant infections were only mild disease. There were no severe diseases in the AstraZeneca vaccinated trial back in South Africa. Same situation for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So, and we know how the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine works against beta in, from the Qatar data. So what is the issue again with beta? It is being crushed by Delta anyway. We have got a high vaccinated group of people. It did look like it was a, uh, a, a variant that was more capable of escaping uh, neutralization by antibodies, but the data doesn't necessarily prove that. Unless they're seeing something that we haven't seen, and again, they need to show us so that we can make our own mind up about where this haphazard rulemaking is coming from. Sam, one thing that I'm not that clear about, don't know whether you are more clear on, is the case numbers in the UK. Why have we seen such a big drop in the number of cases? I mean, is it to do with the end of the school term or is it something else more hopeful? I mean, you have to think about what was going on as we led into that peak. We obviously had uh, the football matches and you could see some of the data that uh, seems to suggest that there was a higher, much higher rate in male than female uh, individuals. So that ties in with big gatherings at homes, in pubs, etc., watching the football, which is a, a more male-dominant uh, activity. Um, obviously, we, we all have uh, female friends and, and, and family who are very much into football, but certainly more male-dominant. So that could have been part of the massive rise, which, of course, when it's over, then you get a massive drop. Um, And then you also had that coinciding with the slightly better weather. I I stress slightly. This is the UK, after all. (laughs) And and the schools closing. 
So, and vaccinations go out. So there's lots of moving parts here. There's one element, though, Caroline, that no one's talked about much, is that the way you get a PCR test is that you have to qualify based on certain symptoms. And the symptoms with the Delta variant have changed a little bit. So it's possible that some people who are catching it aren't being counted as a positive because they don't get to get the PCR test. Now, that's just speculation. Um, I don't have any data to prove it, but we do know that the symptoms have changed. And in order to get a PCR test, you need, you know, cough, loss of smell and taste, etc., which you don't always get with the Delta variant. Yes, this is very interesting, actually. I'd like to ask you about this. Um, I did read one study which suggested that the, the, the symptoms of Delta really are quite different to, to, to the, the earlier strains. And given that Delta is all we have in the UK, are we all following the, you know, the wrong guidelines? But it's possible. And there's, some experts have been calling for this for a while. Why don't you change the rules of how somebody qualifies for a PCR test? I mean, I'm looking at some data that just came out of Singapore and I'm about to publish on that shows that just about every single um, element of symptoms in vaccinated people is lower with Delta if they get an infection than an unvaccinated person. Fever is lower, cough is lower, shortness of breath is lower, sore throat is a little lower, pneumonia is lower, oxygen requirements lower, no ICU. The only one that's gone up is runny nose. So that tells you that there is something in here that's changing about this disease. So if you had somebody in there that had no cough or shortness of breath but had a runny nose, they wouldn't qualify for a PCR test. So there's that element in here that I think yeah. we need to just watch out. I don't know how much it would have contributed to the changes in numbers, but I suspect somebody will fully analyse it one day. Just briefly then, the booster jab that's being reported now, perhaps as soon as September, at least according to one newspaper, there are ethical issues, don't you think, around this now or no? Yes, I don't think anyone can, with half a heart even, <laughs> can uh, for one second sit back and say, actually, no, it's fine. Um, we don't worry about the fact that there's a large population in the world that's not had even one dose of vaccine, and we're going to give a third dose to somebody in a richer country. That is absolutely a problem. Um, but if you end up in a country where it is doing it, and individuals are um, offered it, I would suggest, because of the rules and regulations around transfer of vaccines and all that, that if the country is doing it and the vaccine will expire otherwise, that is the, the most sensible thing to do, to get the booster if, this, if it's being offered. But the, the, before you get to that point, these countries should consider, do we worry about uh, breakthrough infections that are mild and you know, do we keep nightclubs open and football matches open that allows the virus to spread and give us the problem with, a, with for the need of a booster? Or do we think about that a bit more ethically? Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.